Thank you so much for that message and music. We are, if you haven't guessed, talking about the church. And we're specifically doing a doctrinal study about the church. And today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, you may want to get a head start and go ahead and find over in the New Testament that uh, book and chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So when we talk about the church, and I'm accenting the word the today, we're talking about big church, like round the world, global. Uh, Is that totally clear to you? Does that make sense to you? Uh, The fact of the matter is, though on one level it's very simple, on another level it's fairly complex. Some of you know this past uh, Friday, I went to one of the uh, local junior high schools and participated in a program where we presented to 8th graders all day uh, some material about how to make choices in life. So uh, you probably understand that uh, life basically is fairly simple. You get a job, you you make enough money to, to have a living and provide the things that you need, then you live the life, right? So on one level, it's a very simple thing. But on another level, it's pretty complex. Because uh, in our part of the world, in the American culture, we've made it complex. And so uh, you want to make sure you can get a certain kind of job. And if you do that, you've got to make sure you get a certain kind of education. And you also want to develop certain kinds of relational skills. And so how you build friendships and relationships through the years matter in all that. And on and on we went. I mean, you can imagine we went all day with this. And so on the one level it's very simple, on another level it's complex. And so it is with the church. Church is what? Followers of Christ, yeah. But it's a lot more than that. The reason that we're spending time on this is because it's that important. Last week I gave you, uh, in a half hour, like 6,000 years of history. And, and you guys were awesome. You based, Almost all of you went the whole way with me. Only lost a couple of you along the way. And uh, in that, we saw that God's had purpose from the very moment of creation to this very moment of our lives. And His purpose has involved a mission of reconciling us to Himself through the atoning life and death of Jesus Christ. And the church plays a huge piece in that story and that meta-narrative. And so what we were saying last week is what we're going to continue to say over these weeks is what if God designed the church to be one of the most important experiences in your life, but you treated it like one of the least? Isn't it incumbent upon you to figure out, is this as important as the guy on the platform says it is, and if so, I need to adjust my life accordingly, or is it not that big of a deal? And so we're going to spend the next three or four weeks examining that from a biblical standpoint and you make the uh, the call, you make the decision. Is it worth a a high investment of your life or is it something that can remain on the uh, borderline, on the peripheral or not at all? But make an informed decision. So with respect to the complexity of the church, consider this. In Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 5, we're told, as Paul is writing to his uh, friends there in Rome, Greet 
Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well, greet also the church in their house. Hmm. So church can be some followers of Christ as small and as intimate as those that gather in a house. In fact, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of house churches all over the globe. And in some of the other nations where I've been describing to you the exponential, rapid, multiplying kinds of growth of the church, a lot of that's happening with house churches. But consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, where Paul is writing to those that live in Corinth, and he says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus. So here he points out, just with that salutation, that church is not only a gathering of Christ followers in a house, it can be all of the Christ followers that gather in a city, the whole city of Corinth. And then when you see... uh, Thank you, now it's moving... What's that? Oh, mind of its own today? Okay, well, I'll try to sync up minds here. In Acts chapter 9, uh, we're told about the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So, church is not only followers of Christ in a house, followers of Christ in the same city, but followers of Christ across an entire region. It could be like all of the followers of Christ across Washington and Oregon and Idaho well, maybe not Idaho, but no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. We love the people in Idaho. I always pick on Idaho, and I, is Marcy here? She's going to get me for that. So anyway, and then uh, we're told about in Ephesians chapter 5 when uh, Paul's giving some instructions about how relationships within the, the home are conducted. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Which church? The church in a house, the church in a city, the church in a region. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So apparently he's talking about the church of all places of all time. Through the ages. So when we talk about church, on one level being pretty simple, uh, yeah, I go to that building down there where we sing about God and, and look at the Bible. On one level, it's just that simple. And on another level, it's multifaceted and intergenerational and across the ages. So, I'm going to invite you to look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time in talking about the church and what God's up to in a global and timeless kind of way. And we're going to pick up in verse 12, where Paul, in giving this teaching, says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, And though all its parts are many, 
They form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, there's a weird picture, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? So there's a lot of imagery, there's a lot of metaphors across the Scripture that talk about the church. The church is the bride of Christ. We just saw that a moment ago where like... Uh, a special intimate companion of His who is pure and holy before Him. That's who we are. The, the Bible talks about us being uh, uh, the family of God where uh, we're like brothers and sisters to one another with God being our Father. Uh, the, the Bible talks about the, the church being this missional force and this mighty instrument in God's hand, etc. Here, one of the major metaphors in the Bible about the church is we're a body. And we're all the various parts of the body and collectively we become His body so that He can make His presence known and continue and carry out His mission in this world through us. And so, what would that look like when the body is functioning as the body should function? Well, for one, it looks like worship. Where, in a sense of oneness, we come together to acknowledge His greatness, His supremacy, uh, His glory. And I don't know if you noticed, but guys, particularly those of you that are into sports, we're like wired to worship. And, and that's why we get kind of excited about certain teams and certain players and, and uh, certain types of athletic excellence and ability. You know, we get in awe of that. And that's what worship is all about. It's getting in awe of God. Now, the fact of the matter is, God never created us to worship 21 or 22 or 24-year-old athletes who make millions of dollars. But He did create us to worship Him. And so that's why... Uh, that's innate to us, and that's why we have this uh, proclivity to worship. The, the question is, do we worship the right one, the right person? Do we worship God? And that's one of the things that the body, the church, is up to. A second is that we begin to nurture one another. We need one another. Now, uh, I, I wonder if we've got any... Uh, fans of the television show 24 in here. Anybody watch that in here? Yeah, a couple of you. I, I know over here to my left we've got a few. Sherry and I didn't get into this until it was like three or four years into it. And so uh, we started watching it by DVD. And if you don't know the, the, the premise, uh, there's an entire season of episodes that basically represent different hours of the same day. And so like an entire season represents one day. And... The hero of the show is uh, Kiefer Sutherland, who plays this 
agent of the American government called Jack Bauer. All right, is this like brand news to any of you? you? You know what I'm talking about. So, Jack Bauer, in the course of one day, of course it plays out over a whole season, but 24 hours over the course of one day, as an agent of the U.S. government, will save the president from a, an assassination attempt. He will go into enemy territory and retrieve a computer chip that threatens the national security. He will rescue some beautiful woman who is about to be killed. He will uh, find out that there's this encrypted computer message that none of the computer hacks, the greatest minds of the world, can decode. And so he says, let me have a shot at it. <laughs> and he will decode that for us. And finally, you know, he's done all of this in a few hours. And he goes back to headquarters, and headquarters is just crazy because Agent Collins has been captured by enemy terrorists. And so they've sent this team of 30 people to go get Agent Collins, and Bauer says, No, 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 you can't do that. They won't be able to rescue him. I'm the only one on the planet that can rescue him. No kidding. And so they'll retrieve these 30 guys and send Jack Bauer by himself to go and rescue Agent Collins, you know. And I think one of the reasons why that show is so popular and why a lot of us kind of like it is because it encapsulates American culture. We can do it all. It just takes me, myself, and I. Right? And, and, and we can be the hero. And we can be the savior. And what uh, Paul is illustrating for us in 1 Corinthians 12 is this. It doesn't work that way. That, you could not be more anti-biblical, more non-biblical than that American picture. We need each other. We must have each other. Uh, we nurture one another. I, 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 some of you are only an ear. <laughs> All you can do is hear. Some of you are only an eye. Some of you are only a foot. You need another foot. It just gets weird. And so, what the church is about is collectively as one worshiping, being in awe, pointing a world to an awesome God, and taking care of one another, nurturing one another, becoming what God envisioned and dreamed for you to become because we do so relationally with one another. And then in the third place, you'll see that what's true of the church is that we also love the world. We not only nurture one another, but we care about and we love the world. We're His body. He loves the world. How's He going to do that? He's going to do that through your hands, through your feet, through your mouth, through your eyes, etc., we become His body in this world to love the world. And so everywhere that there's injustice, we work and give of ourselves for justice. Everywhere there's a lack of mercy and a need for, for mercy, then we come alongside of and we, we get invested in the lives of people so that they know mercy. Everywhere that there's poverty, everywhere that there's need, everywhere that there's hurt, we're there to help and to be a, a part of the facilitating of God's healing in those lives. No strings attached. God doesn't love us because we might do such and such for Him. He just 
loves us. And we become extensions of that love as His church in this world. And then we see in the fourth place that we share good news. We share the gospel. The reason that we love other people, care about them, get invested in them, is because we have been loved. We have been cared for. We have been invested in by Christ and by His body, the church. And that's good news. There's hope. There's help. There's a power beyond ourselves that can redeem us from our fallenness. And it's the person of Jesus Christ. And we're entrusted with that good news to let other people know about that. So having said all that, when we think about a church, then what, what are those special characteristics that you'll find true of all churches? So for example, let's just imagine that here we've all gathered in this place. Uh, if you noticed over the door when you walked in, it said church. Uh, here on the platform, I am an ordained guy. We have talked about God in this place. And let's just say that we launched a series today, a series of, uh, of talks that uh, says, Debt is Dumb. Okay? And so as we embark on this, I say, I've got seven points to tell you why debt is dumb. And point number one is this, and I'll go into that. And point number two is this, and point number three is this. And, oh, we're out of time. Next week, we're going to continue our series on debt is dumb. Jerry, will you come? And Jerry would come because he's written a special song about debt is dumb. And he will go to the piano, and he, he will let you know. If you have four bucks and you spend seven, that's dumb. Right? And he'll go through that whole thing and he'll get over and, and, and I'll say, hey, thanks for reminding us again, debt is dumb. And uh, just to kind of take that home for us today, when you leave, there'll be t-shirts out here in all the sizes that say, debt is dumb. All right? And then we would have a closing prayer. God, thank you for showing us that debt is dumb and why we need to not have debt and help us with that. Amen. And then we all take off, get our shirt on the way out the door. Okay, Is that church? You see, that is not church. I know we were in a place that said church. We had some God talks, some God conversations. But what you find true and characteristic of all true churches in all places around the world through all of history are these two things. One, that the Word of God is expounded and taught faithfully in keeping with the uh, directing of God's Spirit. The whole counsel of God is presented from the Word of God. That's one characteristic of churches everywhere, all places, all time. All the big theologians of all time have agreed on that. They don't agree on anything but that. The Calvins, the Luthers, all those big guys, right? 
And then the other is that in all churches, everywhere, through all time, they rightly observe and practice the ordinances of the church. Baptism and Lord's Supper. So, you know, like three years ago, I took a trip to Bryansk, Russia. We've got a team that's going to be going there in just a couple of weeks. And while I was in Russia doing some, some ministry type things, I worshipped in a Russian church. And guess what we did on that day that I worshipped with them? We had the Lord's Supper. We had communion. A couple years ago, I ended up going to Durban, South Africa on a vision trip to see if there were some ministry things we were going to get involved there. And when we worshipped, guess what happened in that worship gathering? They baptized new followers of Christ. These are the things that happen everywhere through all the ages in true churches. Now, I'm also a member of Rotary. There's a lot of great civic community service organizations out there that have some great values that, that make a wonderful difference in the community, but they don't rightly proclaim the Word of God and observe the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. Okay? And there are some wonderful organizations out there that actually have church on the building and on the program that you look at, but they're not rightly dividing the Word of God and observing the ordinances. Are you following me? So, what do those look like? Baptism and Lord's Supper. Uh, we just got through baptizing. And so you notice that we have... Not a hot tub, even though some of you were kind of hoping. Um, and we did heat the water, but it just, you know, you have to make your own bubbles. It just doesn't do. Uh, but we, we practice immersion. We dunk people. And you go, that's kind of weird. I'm going to be a follower of Christ. I want to be a part of His church. I want to be in the whole movement of what God's doing through all time in history. And you want to dunk me for that. What, what is that all about? Well, um, and then on, on other occasions when we get, get together, you want me to eat a little piece of bread and drink from a little cup. I mean, why am I doing all that? Well, um, I'm not much of a jewelry guy. I, I usually wear watch, but uh, I'm not big on rings. I, I don't even know if I, I wore a ring before I got married. Uh, but my wife gave me this ring when we got married. And inside is inscribed, My Love Always. Now, this ring only costs, you can probably get it for a hundred bucks. So it's not like this big value thing, but it's priceless to me because of who gave it to me and because of what it signifies. And that's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are about. Okay, somebody gets dunked and wet, somebody nibbles on a little piece of bread and drinks a little cup of juice. No big deal, except for the fact of what it can mean to you if along the way your life had been catalyzed alive by the person of Jesus Christ. And if you received Him into your life and, and appropriated His atoning death and you have been reconciled with the eternal God, then you find baptism and Lord's Supper to be hugely meaningful. 
because of the remembrance that they are to you of who He is and how great He is in your life. Now, we practice immersion here because simply that's what we find in the Bible. And I, and I don't mean to put down any other group that practices it any other way, but we're just trying to do what we find in the book. And in the book, every single baptism ever described in the Bible is by immersion. There's never a baptism done by a sprinkling or by a pouring or by any other mode. And again, I'm not being critical of those groups. I'm just saying we're just trying to do it the way the book says. And so if, if you'll take a quick journey with me in Mark chapter 1, verse 5, when John the baptizer was out baptizing people, we're, we're told that uh, all were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river. They'd gotten in the river. Not just on the side of the shore where he could slap some up on them. And then in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, in those days Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, there's enough reason right there for me. If Jesus went all the way under and came up out of the water, then that's the way I want to do it. Uh, and then we find in John 3, 23, John was also baptizing at Enon near Salim, another area because the water was plentiful there. He got to have a lot of water to do it the way he was doing it. And then in Acts 8:38, some of you will remember that a deacon by the name of Philip had gone off to an area and he ran into this Ethiopian eunuch and they had a faith conversation and the Ethiopian decided he wanted to be a Christ follower and they're kind of traveling along in this chariot and they finally come to this like big body of water, a river type area. And he says, hey, is this the type place where I can be baptized? And they commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch. And uh, he baptized him. And then we're told uh, in Romans chapter 6, and here's the most picturesque uh, reference to baptism in the Bible. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, you see that picture. Baptism is a picture of me dying to a former way of life and being buried in death. And then like Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm then raised into a new way of living. You take away immersion, you've taken away that entire biblical picture of what baptism is, uh, is depicting. So again, I don't mean to just beat that in the ground, but I'm just saying, for those of you that are part of this church and you, you've wondered, why do we do the whole dunk thing? It's because that's, we're just trying to do the way we find it in the Scriptures. And then... There's the matter of the Lord's Supper. If you've got your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 12, just turn back a page and look with me at 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following. Paul said, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night He was betrayed, took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. See, why do we have these services? And we're going to do it in two weeks. And so I hope you can be back for that, where we will you know, uh, dispense to you bread and then a cup. Why do we do that? Well, Paul said, uh, for one, it's because of the cross. You can't forget 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 the cross. This whole thing happens because of Jesus going to the cross and taking your sin, taking my sin upon Himself, paying the penalty and price for us, substitutionary, so that we can be forgiven. So that we can be reconciled. Friends, if we forget the cross, we'll begin to think better of ourselves than we should. That I've been so disciplined and I've been so careful and I've done these practices to be reconciled. It's not that. It's the cross. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. That salvation is not in any way, in any way, a, a result of your effort. The bread and the cup are those reminders. I consume the bread, I drink the cup. He paid the price. He paid the price. He paid the price. So, what do you do with what we've been talking about today? Today we've been talking about the church. The church all around the globe. The church through all of the ages. Next week we'll talk more about this church. But in a lot of what we talked about today, what do, you, what do you do with that? What do you think? How do you respond? You go, I'm not sure I'm ready to respond at all. I, I want to hear more. Well, that's fine. I hope you'll come back. But somebody else may be saying, you know, God's been stirring me in these, next, in these past few moments. I need to respond to Him in some kind of way. I need to open myself more fully to Him in some kind of way. Well, then let me make these suggestions. One, receive Him into your life. Have a personal relationship with Christ that causes your heart to come alive to God and the realities of the spirit and unseen world. To come alive with capacities to know Him, to hear from Him, to converse and to commune with Him. This is not just religious exercises that we go through around here. We have a living God with whom we have a real relationship. And then, have you committed to following Christ with all your heart? I, I, know, I don't want to just... You know, believe in this intellectual way and, and ask for forgiveness, but I want to give my whole heart, my whole life to Him and love Him and love His church and be a part of the church's mission with the totality of my life. So you go, I don't know that I'm ready to respond to all that. Then let me just give you a preview of coming attractions. That's the biblical response 
that's called for with respect to who God is and what God's up to with His church. Let's pray about that together. So, Father, we're just seeking to find out more of who You are and what's real in this world. And frankly, the, the stuff of this world is really loud. It's really glitzy. It really gets our attention. And um, so much of what we've heard or seen about church is kind of a, a yawner. But Father, as we get into Your book, we see how awesome You are. And how dynamic and powerful you move through your church. And I pray, Father, that you'd help our hearts to be gripped by that. And that we would give the only biblical response that you deserve, and that is wholehearted devotion and commitment. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this time, these next two or three minutes, is where you kind of more expressively respond to God. You've just been kind of listening. At this point, I'm going to invite you. You want to be a Christ follower? Ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior right now. Or check on that little connection card. I want to have a personal relationship with Him. Tell me more about that and I'll follow up with you. Or you say, I, I want to, I, I need to give him full commitment. I've been half hearted, I've been double minded. I'm going to be single minded and whole hearted now. I've just kind of, you know, put the church off to the side. It's just one of those extra nice things to support. I need to be more centralized in following him through what he's up to with his church. However, you want to articulate that, you want to put it on the card that we pray for you about that, we'd, we'd be pleased to do that. And as indicator, as an evidence of how we have committed ourselves to Him, we worship Him with tithes and offerings. And so our ushers are going to come, and you can make commitments with that connection card, or you can worship Him with your tithes and your offerings. Our ushers will come. Lord, we uh, commit this time of offering to You as we give more of ourselves to You in Jesus' name. Amen.